On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills, too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically, so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam Shansky, and today I'm here with India Ramey. How you doing, India? I'm doing great. Excellent. Doing great. We really enjoyed playing. You enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was awesome. <laughs> that was great. And so you're living in Nashville, correct? Yes. But you're from Rome, Georgia? Yes. Originally? Yes. Tell me a little bit about Rome, Georgia. Um, Rome, Georgia is a little town in northwest Alabama. Um, it's the home of Barry College, which is the, just about the prettiest thing that Rome has to offer. Um, uh, it was an interesting place to grow up. Um, I, I'm, when I meet people that grew up there and they liked it, I always, um, I'm like, so your family was pretty well to do, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we were doing okay. I'm like, cause if you were poor and you lived in Rome, it was not, it was not a great place to, to grow up. So, um, but there, there are still a lot of people there that I love very much. I have a sister that lives there and, um, my friend Michael lives there and, uh, love them, but, um, very glad to be living other places. Yeah, you still have roots <laughs> there then. Yeah. And it's also the home of uh, a statue, correct, of uh, Romulus and Remus yes. that was gifted by Benito Mussolini. Is yes, that right? Yes, I think, yes. Have you yes. seen that before? Oh, yeah. Um, it's right out in front of the city auditorium uh-huh. where all my dance recitals were when I was growing up. And, um, yeah, it's it's a it's kind of a thing. It's yeah. a Rome thing. That and the clock tower. Um, which it was a, I think it was a gift from France or something like, like the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> and so, in between your time living in Rome and Nashville, you spent time living in Birmingham. Yes. And, yes. And Montgomery as well. Yeah, Montgomery was very brief. I lived in Birmingham most of most of the time. I moved there when I was in seventh grade, and um, I lived in the dorms at the Alabama School of Fine Arts. Mm-hmm. I went there for ballet because um, uh, my family really wanted me to be a ballet dancer. I thought I did too. Um, but it was, it was a good experience because, um, it was, I learned a lot of discipline Mm -hmm. there. Um, but that was, um, I lived most of the time in Birmingham and I only lived in Montgomery for three years. So it was very brief. And when you were living in Birmingham, you were practicing law, right? Yes. Um, I practiced law in Montgomery too. Uh, my first real law job was in Montgomery at the district attorney's office and I was the special prosecutor for violence against women. Okay. So I did a lot of the um, domestic violence cases and, um, you know, all the all the bad cases. <laughs> what was all one the of sad the ones. What was one of the more bizarre cases you ever saw? Um, there were some pretty bizarre. Uh, there were some pretty bizarre ones. Um, I'm trying to think of one that was bizarre, but something okay that, to still talk about. Yeah, something that's like uh, <laughs> viewer friendly, maybe. I don't know. Like, let me just say, people are people are crazy. Yeah, people are real crazy. I I will say this. I I saw a record amount of dry cleaning robberies, um, <laughs> which were not lucrative, by the way. Uh, just to let everybody know. Um, but there there was a direct correlation between everybody sitting around smoking a blunt, 
robbing a, a, a dry cleaners and then getting caught by the cops while they were smoking the new blunt that they bought with the proceeds of the crime. Wow. Wow. There, there were a lot of those. Um, and I had those because the cashier was a female. So. <laughs> a lot of those. Wow. So tell me about Pappy Middleton. Oh, Pappy's a great guy. Um, Pappy is actually the reason why I'm here, um, probably. Um, I was finishing my first album. I had written all these songs, um, and I was still lawyering. Um, and I had written all these songs, and I didn't know what to do with them, so I recorded them, and I didn't know what I was going to do with that. And uh, my friend William Barnes produced that record in Birmingham, and he wanted me to go meet Pappy because um, Pappy worked with Bonnie Wright for years. And um, he has a studio, and um, it's south of Dallas. It's in Palmyra, mm -hmm. Texas. Uh, Palmer, Texas, sorry. And uh, the studio is called Palmyra Studios. Okay. And he has a ranch. And um, Eric Habadu recorded um, Bag Lady there wow. and wrote a lot of those songs on his sofa. And um, So we stayed there, and uh, one night, Pappy was drinking his tea, he loves tea, and he sat down with me and my husband, and um, he called us kids, and he said, so kids, um, what's your next move? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and he said, well, are you looking for a job? Because I was in between law jobs. And I was like, yes, sir, I'm, I'm trying real hard to, to get a job. And he said, don't, maybe don't do that, because you've, you've got a good thing here, and I think that you need to be out gigging, and you need to, you need to give your music a try so that's what I've been doing for the past eight nine years <laughs> so he was pretty influential in the first album which was Junkyard Angel right yes yes could you tell me a little bit about the influence behind that album um I you know I I kind of go with the the notion write what you know mm -hmm. and it was my first attempt at writing original music because I wanted to sing but I didn't want to just sing everybody else's stuff Right. And um, I thought, you know, I, I can probably do that. So um, a, a good amount of those songs, just like on Snake Handler, are, are personal. Yeah. Um, like Junkyard Angel is sort of like, if you had to sum up your life in five minutes, what would you say? <laughs> That's pretty much the, the title track of the record. So it's, it's just kind of all, you know, unrequited love and stuff about my family. And there was another album between Junkyard Angel and your new album, Snake Handler, which was called... Blood Crescent Moon. Excellent. And yeah. I noticed a darker shift in the music between Junkyard Angel and Blood Crescent Moon. Yeah, I, Blood Crescent Moon was... Um, uh, I, had, I had learned to play guitar by then, mm -hmm. and I was doing a lot of the writing on my own without taking my lyrics to somebody and just sing like the first album I would just sing it to William mm -hmm. and I'd be like it sounds like this in my head and you know he yeah. would help me pick out the chords but Blood Crescent Moon was where I was spending a lot of time on my own and building those songs myself and I think that's where I sort of found my voice then mm -hmm. my style and it's sort of I've sort of been honing it since then I read somewhere that you feel like now you're getting your sound right Yes. Is that still the word that you stand by? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I feel like Snake Handler really was, like, um, sort of my graduation into mm -hmm. um, what I, my, my authentic self, mm -hmm. what I really want to say to people. So I read that you think that classic country and bluegrass music are a more honest way to express your lyrics. Um, where do you get that idea at? 
Well, I mean, you know, there's that old saying that country music is three chords in the truth, and mm-hmm. um, I, I believe that. I, um, there's so much storytelling in country music, right. and um, there's there's uh, there's so much. I don't know. It's it's so authentic and it's so real, and the emotions are so raw in so many of those classic country songs, and they're they're just they're ripped out of people's lives and put to music and i think it's just a beautiful thing so just how autobiographical is snake handler for you very Mm -hmm. very 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 um because my my father um from whom i was estranged for years because he was um he was abusive to my mother and he was an addict and he was just um he was a hell raiser yeah um so i didn't i didn't have a very good relationship with him and around the time that i was starting to write for the next album, um, that's when he was dying. So um, a lot of that, I don't know, a lot of these songs were me helping, like me trying to figure out how to work out my feelings about him. And it it did, it helped a lot. So could you tell me about the song Saying Goodbye and how that came about? Yeah, um, so I got a phone call one morning um, from my friend Leslie, and she had seen a post on Facebook. Um, I think one of my sisters had posted that my father had had an accident, mm-hmm. and he was not—he was not didn't look like he was going to make it. Mm-hmm. And um, I was crushed immediately, and I was shocked at how crushed I was because I just—I just none of us really liked him. I, yeah. I, I can't think of one person that really liked my dad. <laughs> um, and but I, I was devastated, and I, I even called. I called my preacher at um, Southside Baptist, the church that I went to when I was in Birmingham, and I was like, "Tim, help me with this. Like, why am I so devastated?" And he kind of helped me work through it, and uh, made me realize that it was the really the my grief was the relationship that I would never have with my dad. Because there's always that part of you that hopes, mm-hmm. you know, that there'll be some kind of resolution or. Um, that he might apologize or whatnot. And it was the realization that that was never going to happen. And that um, he was gone. He was going to be gone. So I called my mother, and I just I had this overwhelming feeling that I needed to go see him. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really important to me to show, to, to make him feel compassion, because I don't think that that's anything, that, I don't think that's something that he ever felt. And I don't think that that's something that he possessed. So I wanted to go. So I, I went, and it was weird. It was really weird. Like, like um, on the recorded version of that song, there's um, Joey Fletcher is playing this baritone guitar, and it's going through this really cool um, distortion pedal. And Mark came up with it. You know, he said, go in there and do this, you know, with this pedal. And when Joey started playing that, I told Mark, I was like, that sound is the way I felt that day. Cause it's kind of dissonant and it's uh-huh. kind of confusing. And, um, yeah, so that saying goodbye is, um, is basically just the story about that day that I went to tell him goodbye. So with your experience in law and also your own personal experiences through these sorts of things, I'm wondering if you have advice for people out there that are watching on, dealing with toxic people in their lives. Yeah. um, So even before I was a lawyer, I did, um, when I was in college, I volunteered with um, domestic violence shelters and 
Um, I went all around the state of Alabama and spoke at high schools and um, high school assemblies um, to tell kids, you know, because, like, I wanted to get to the to them when they're young, when they're mm-hmm. first starting to learn how to be in relationships, um, to maybe break that cycle. Right. Um, but, um, you know, that, like, I used to go through all the steps with them cause, because every abusive relationship pretty much follows the same template. And... Um, so I always tell people what to watch out for. And one of the things to watch out for is um, when somebody's trying to move that relationship way too fast mm. and they're, you know, they're convincing you that it's, it's because it's love. And, you know, there's all this romantic, you know, mumbo jumbo yeah. <laughs> involved, but that it's, that's not real. It's, it's all about power and control and possession. So that's usually the first red flag. And um, if you're unfortunate enough to get, into a relationship that's toxic and you realize that you are, um, the main thing is, is to never let go of your support system. Um, abusive people, because they want to be in control of you, they will alienate you from your friends and your family, that, that core support system that you've always had. Mm -hmm. And that's another sign. Like when they start, when you start, when you stop calling your mama and you stop calling your best friend, you're in an abusive relationship. Yeah, you don't need to call them or, you know. Yeah, like what do you, and the, you know, there's usually this um, this demonization by the abuser of your support system. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like they never they never support you in what you're doing. I'm the only one that that believes in you and, you know, like yeah, they don't treat good. you right. Yeah, that's so um, never let go of that support system because they're the ones that will help you out. Are you a big source of support in your family? I try to be. I hope I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, my sisters and I, we all live in different cities, but we have a, an ongoing Facebook message where we communicate every day and we try to help each other through just day-to-day struggles and encourage each other. Like my sister Autumn is starting to sing now mm-hmm. in Birmingham and um, she's still kind of new to it and she gets nervous and I'm like, I've been there, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we all, and my mom too, like we try to call a lot and um, we're all very close and we all love each other very much so Good. we're always there for each other well on a lighter note in the video um, for saying goodbye you are seen driving a car which is an awesome GTO, GTO. Pontiac GTO I was wondering what year is that's like a 64 it was no, it was a it was a 68 68 okay mm-hmm. I'm off yep. a little bit what's the story behind that car where did that come from um, well there's there's a guy in Nashville that has cars. Okay. And, um, and I, I wanted a stick shift uh-huh. for this video because of that drum hit. Um, I wanted to have, I just thought it would be cool to, oh, yeah. to be shifting gears whenever yeah. that drum hit, like boom, boom. I'm going to go back in. and watch for that. And, um, and my husband and I currently don't have, um, a straight shift much mm-hmm. to my r- regret. And so I was like, well, I have to rent one. And if I'm going to rent one, I may as well rent this GTO. Right. <laughs> it's awesome. My uncle has a bunch of GTOs, or three to be exact, and I'm a big fan. So, it, yeah. was, it was a beautiful car. The only thing is, like, it wasn't as fun to drive as I thought it was going to be because those cars are made for big dudes. Yeah. And I'm a little lady. <laughs> and um, I couldn't reach the pedals. So, reach the pedals. so, yeah, like, so he... he pulled the seat up as far as it would go and I still couldn't reach the pedals so I had to go inside and put my platform shoes on Dang. 
And then he had to put his jacket like behind me, like a booster seat so that I could push in the clutch. So like most of the time when I'm in that video, I'm like <laughs> pulling on the steering wheel and shifting and like and sweating. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was exciting. Smoke and mirrors, people. It was an adventure, They would have never yes. known. <laughs> so you have another amazing music video out as well called Snake Handler, which is mm -hmm. the title track from your album. Could you tell me a little bit about the filming process of that uh, video as well? Yeah, um, so my husband Sean and I were trying to come up with an idea for the video because you know the obvious thing was to do something like like true detective season one-esque okay. you know like some kind of like crazy tent revival or totally. something um but we don't like to be obvious so um my husband actually came up with the idea because we had been watching stranger things a lot it's a great show it's a great show and um, my husband was like well what if you were like just doing, going about your day, doing your regular stuff, but every now and then, like, it switches to, like, the yeah. upside down, and there's snakes everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's a great idea. It is. So um, I, like, called around and did some Internet research and couldn't, like, I couldn't find anybody, like, a snake guy. And um, I remembered this store in Birmingham, it's in Homewood, actually, like right outside of Birmingham, that we used to go to when I was in high school, like when we were bored. It's called Ed's Pet World. Okay. And um, I called Ed's, and I was like, hey, I need, I need a snake guy. Bring me some snakes. <laughs> and um, I got just the guy. Yeah, and Seth at Ed's Pet World answered the phone, and he was like, oh, yeah, man, we can bring you how many snakes you need. <laughs> and he loaded up the snakes and brought them to Nashville. And Oh, yeah. We did a weird video. <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> Thank you. You even got in the bed with them? Yep. I was in the bed with uh, Steve the Snake. He's, sure, Steve. He's uh, an African. Uh, I can't remember what what his species is, but he's uh, he climbs trees. So that, that when the covers come back, he's you know he's trying to climb. Like his right. head just comes right up, and um, he was really active. And then they were. Um, some uh, ball pythons, three ball pythons named Daryl. They were all Daryl, Daryl, and Daryl. <laughs> Naturally. And Nana Banana is the big yellow, um, yeah. the big python. Yeah. Is she the star? Yeah, she was the star. She was the coolest one, too, because yeah. she, was, she was really full. She had eaten <laughs> recently. So. <laughs> Probably for the best. Yeah. So is being a band leader something that you're naturally suited for, or is that something that takes effort on your part? It's a learning process. Mm -hmm. um, I like in the beginning when I first started having a band, I had to learn how to be a boss, mm -hmm. um, which is something that came perfectly natural to me when I was an attorney. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, a lot of these people went to music school. I didn't go to music school. And I'm like, they know what they're doing better. But, you know, but when you're keeping a whole operation together and it's, you're you're the person whose name is on it. Mm -hmm. um, I had to learn that I had to I had to be okay with asking things of people, um, and asking them to do certain things, and um, you know making sure everybody's on time and yeah. stuff like that. So I've learned. Um, I don't think I'm perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah. I'm getting better every time. Every gig we get better. <laughs> do you find the work with songwriting and promoting your career and everything? versus law and all the stuff you were doing there, uh, which one do you find more challenging? Oh, definitely this. Yeah? Um, I've never worked harder in my life 
Awesome. Um, yeah, like going to law school, taking the bar, all that stuff was was not this hard. That <laughs> <laughs> was a cakewalk compared to this. But but this this is something that I don't I don't mind working hard at, and yeah. I don't I don't mind. You know, working from the time I wake up in the morning until, you know, really, really late at night um, and doing, you know, tedious stuff like radio mailers and stuff like that. I love it. Cool. Love every bit of it. This is what I wanted to do when I was five years old. So. So you're pretty collaborative, you know, and uh, I saw that you actually worked with your husband on a couple of the songs. He's credited as a co-write as well. Yeah. Um, What's it like writing with him? Well, it was something that we'd never done before but um i i am i am diagnosed obsessive compulsive um (laughs) so when i get when i like get on something like a song idea or something like that i obsess about it for days and days and days until it's better or worse yes yeah and um and poor sean you know he has to kind of like be there for (laughs) all of you know all of the sausage making, you know? <laughs> um, so I, uh, on those two songs on Devil's Den and Rome to Paris, I was stuck. I had, I had written most of it, but I was stuck on this like one part that I couldn't make it work. And Sean kind of like sat me down, calmed me down and talked me through it and, you know, asked me questions and helped me process it. Like there's a, in Rome to Paris in the first chorus, um, it says, um, in this old mill town, it ain't nothing but a pulpwood cage. And he helped me come up with that because he was like, because I was like, I want to say something like this old mill town. Like, I want to get out of this old mill town, but it's it's nothing but a. And he was like, well, what do they make in Rome? And I was like, well, make a lot of pulpwood. There's a lot of pulpwood trucks and it smells like a paper plant. <laughs> and it just came together. So I had to give him credit for that. Yeah. So you recorded Snake Handler with Mark Patasha, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. How did you get connected with Mark? Uh, My friend Will Stewart, who I knew from when I lived in Birmingham, who is also, he's an incredible Americana artist. And um, he's going to be at South by Southwest this week. And he's, um, check him out. He's really, Will Stewart is awesome. Excellent. Um, But he had recorded some things with Mark. And he knew that I was ready to record, and he was just insistent that I meet Mark. He, he said, you need to work with Mark. Mm-hmm. He will do the right thing by your sound. And um, Will had played with me a lot um, when, we, when I first moved to Nashville, so he knew my sound and he knew what I needed. Mm-hmm. And he set up a meeting with, uh, with me and Mark, and we all agreed that it was a great idea. And I, I definitely do not regret that decision. It's the best decision I've ever made. Who else has he worked with? He's worked with Jason Isbell. Um, he worked for Dave Cobb at the time that Isbell did Southeastern. Okay. So all of the engineering and mixing was was Mark. Wow. Yeah. Was it a satisfying experience working with him in the long run? It was awesome. Like it wasn't. It wasn't just a great working experience and creative experience. I made a friend in Mark mm-hmm. um, too, and I'm, I'm going to do the next album with him. Very cool. Yeah. What is uh, your ultimate goal in making music? Um, gosh, I, just to make good music, you know? Like, um, I want to make good music, and I want to tell the stories the best way they can be told. Um, and, I, you know, I, wanna, I want it to be good enough that my fellow musicians respect it and think it's good, too. Um, 
because I, you know, I haven't been, I'm sort of late in the game in this because I was very busy trying to be practical and make an honest living and whatnot. So, um, I just, I want to, I want to be legit. (laughs) Thank you for being here, India. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills, too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically, so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom is dead. My mom is right there. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.